Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide here. Uh, just finished up our class with the Mile High Training Group. Uh, we did our three-day basic precision rifle for the month of May. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. want to uh, do a quick shout out to thank Mike for all the help during that class. Mike really stood up uh, during this uh, event, the training and stuff. He, he was on fire, man. He, he was like, he was like the the uh, the the ringleader of a you know three ring circus kind of thing. He was he was moving everything around. He was all animated. It was actually really fun listening to him. Uh, we're we're using the powered ears in everything, and we'll talk a little bit about those. Um, I'll go right into the Air Pro first because uh, guys have been mentioned it. I'm using those uh, Odo noise barriers. These new electronic ears that come in their own little charging case. And Mike was actually using the um, the on-ear muffs from Pelotor with the Bluetooth and everything. They had a bunch of them at um, Mile High there with the Bluetooth. I'm actually going to go get a pair. And so he was running his phone through the Bluetooth and listening to like music in the background. And he said it was just rock star. He told me they were super comfortable with those Pelotor Bluetooth model. I don't know the exact name in the model. I'm going to go to Mile High this week and pick myself up a set because I'm going to be traveling. And with some of the classes, uh, you know, the over-ear muffs with the bigger rifles and magnums and hunting rifles and brakes tends to work better, which is what I'm going to get into with the noise barriers from the Odo. Now, uh, it's getting to be more popular, these sort of uh, little in-ear self-contained ear protection that the case is the charging station. And just from my perspective, and I've used these Odos now, I did three days with the class. I did a couple other full days with them. So I've used them, I think a total of almost, God, it's gotta be, um, I don't know, a lot of hours. Figure if you go eight hours a day, I've probably used them about 24 hours worth and uh, you know, continuous. And I, I like them because they're really light. They're really comfortable. You can hear the active on-air canceling. Now, when I'm behind the line and I'm spotting on the spotter, they work really well. And they're advertised at like a 25 dB uh, noise reduction. And I'm using the flanged inserts because they fit my ears really well. There are the thick foamy inserts that you can crush down and foam. According to the website, it's about the same noise ratio. So I don't think you're gaining much going one to the other. But I have yet to touch the charge on these uh, heads, uh, earphones. You know, they're they're still 80% right now. And I've used them quite a bit. You put them in, they're ready to go. It's like one charge so far has been working the entire time. They charge via USB. You can hear the active noise canceling when like a shot goes off. You can hear them kind of shut off from that. The only thing I did notice is when I'm on a line and I'm leaning down sitting next to a shooter with the brakes and everything like that, they're not nearly as, uh, as effective as the over-the-ear. And I'm not quite sure how I feel compared to my ESPs that are the molded in-ear electronic hearing protection. ESPs are the $2,500 ones. These noise barriers from uh, Odo are $350. Uh, pretty similar, you know, as far as comfort level goes. I, I hadn't noticed them being uncomfortable in any way. You can hear really well. There's a high and low setting with them. 
But like I said, with the breaks and the magnums, when I walk up to the line and I'm going shooter to shooter, like during my fundamental evals and, and when I'm kind of correcting someone trigger control wise or something, and if a person next to us shoots there, you know, I, I'm definitely throwing my hand up and putting it in front of my ear to give me that added layer. So I think in that case, I would probably switch to the over ear muffs and then when I'm back behind the line and I'm all day and just calling shots for people and doing stuff like that, I'm going to go with the Odos completely. Now, if I'm out on my own and I'm doing my suppressor stuff and things like that, these Odos are great. You know, uh, like I said, they're super comfortable. They're really small. They kind of fit my ear just like perfect out of the box because they are so dang tiny. And um, I just really think that's a big pro on these things. So I'm liking the way the case is because it's like a little sort of waterproof case it looks like, a little brown case. And you just flip it open, pull them out. That case is the charging station. And they're they're just, they're, they're lasting forever, man. I've yet to go near them again. And I do like them. So I'm going to definitely go in that route. But now like I'm getting ready to leave and go do the Alaska classes and stuff like that. The variety of rifles is big. Guys are just getting into suppressors. Mark up there at Wiggy's Alaska is a big suppressor salesman for them. And it's getting a lot of those guys suppressed. And the nice thing is you kind of get the visiting rights when you come to one of our classes. So if you buy a suppressor and do all that, um, go through the process. And then when we have the class, if you take the class, he will bring your suppressor so you can use it. And he just maintains with it. So, uh, it, you know, he maintains control uh, before and after. So, you know, you don't leave with the thing, but, uh, it, it, and that works out well, but you know, me shooting and doing the videos, the suppress shooting, the whole thing that we're doing, I think these Odos are working real good. And I know there's other brands and models. They're the same sort of ear protection, but under different names, Epimatic or something like that. I think it's called. So that's kind of in that same vein. I think sport ear is another one. There's a few. Like I said, my ESPs have been lasting me forever. They actually have to go in for some uh, repair. They don't work with the batteries and stuff like that as well as they used to. So now they're really just passive uh, when I insert them. But because they're fitted to my ear, they're super, super comfortable. The thing with over-ear muffs, man, when you're wearing them all day on the line like that, when you're up there doing, you know, those 8, 10, 12-hour days like we do, they crush on your head. And if you're wearing iPro as well... Then, you know, they're not sealing up the same. And then you have the eye pro crushing on your head with the ear muffs. And that annoys the hell out of me. So I try to wear the on-ear muffs or the over-ears sparingly. You know, kind of only when I'm getting close and, and stuff like that. But, I mean, as it is today, my, my left ear is completely shot. Rings 24-7. It's nerve damage. I've been to the VA about it. And it's just, it's that's that's the way it is. But I do try to kind of cover my right ear a little bit better because it's the one that's still working pretty well. It's not nearly as bad as the left. The left is toast. And so, um, you know, this kind of stuff. And like I said, behind the line, it's working great. But I mean, if you're only at the range for short sessions, those over ears with the Bluetooth, you can play some music through it. You can communicate, uh, um, do some different stuff as well. What he was looking at is Mike was saying you can plug your like iPods, your old iPods that aren't Bluetooth in and it'll go direct cable to them too so there's a direct connect and a bluetooth mode on those pelotors and those pelotors are only like a hundred bucks hundred and something he said 
Um, so that's kind of a good deal, man. I, I really think that's a, a great thing. But overall, uh, just to kind of after action our class. Uh, set up on Thursday, got everything ready. You guys saw maybe online the truing target that I did at 800 yards. I built it. I kind of asked Austin to build that truing target in a one-piece design, right? So I said, you know, hey, let's do it this way. So that way there, um, it's it's just two T-posts. The IPSC goes over, or actually the truing bar goes over. Uh, of course, right? Randy's calling. Okay, I'm back. Randy from Mile High was calling me. So <laughs> you might have heard it. Might have came through the computer. That's the thing with the Apple's, um, uh, what do you call it? The the Apple uh, computers when it, you know, the phone's away and on vibrate and then it rings through the dang computer. Uh, so if you hear it, sorry about that. But anyway, talking the truing targets and set up. So what I did is I made that truing bar. Um, and the idea came from Brian Morgan. And what we did is we did double T-post. The bar and frame go on, and then the IPSC target goes on through it and over the top and holds it in place. And, you know, I really like it. It's really good. But the goal for me was to put that uh, light flasher on it, on the bar, and not the IPSC. I'm using the IPSC as a backer, okay, because we don't have berms on our range. And so you, you can't always catch a splash that totally lines you up. Because it may drop so far behind the target. We're a field range. It's not built up. And the way our berms are, the berms only are really covering the paper targets that come up behind from the high power guy that originally built it. So the IPSC, full size IPSC at 800 with the truing bar backer. And that truing bar is point two. When I put the Magneto Speed Light React on it, um, or the you know the, the T1000, not, I have the Light Reacts too. So I kind of interchange them. I have Dave Curley's Light Reacts out on some, and I have the T-1000s on some others. So if you hit either one, the light flashed. Well, what we want it to do is we want it to only flash on the truing bar. Now, what Brian Morgan would do, one side would flash with the backer, one side flash with the truing bar, and I can actually do that. But what I'm going to end up doing is I'm going to uh, separate them, and Austin came out on Saturday um, during the, during the rainy day. We'll talk about that in a bit. And he, we, we refined the discussion. So we are going to end up doing two separate targets. What'll, what'll happen is there'll be a IPSC of some kind, and then there'll be a, um, the chewing bar in front of it. And I'm going to move the T posts out to the edges of the chewing bar, and then the IPSC will be at, back on its single post the way it is normally. I could have done it where they were together again and everything was behind the IPSC and it's definitely a doable way but what you have to do that way is make the bracket bigger and wider and sort of now how it is in those photographs is way over engineered right so then you'd make kind of a little cut out of it where the t-post bracket on the IPSC fits inside I think it's a really good way of doing it because then everything's behind the, the, the IPSC, but it's a lot more work. It'll be a lot more expensive. So the cheap fix is to make them two separate things. As well for that is because there are people that do have a lot of berms on their range. Like right after I posted the, everything on Thursday, Friday, and people were discussing it, uh, Jacob from Rifles Only contacted me and he really liked it, but he's like, why bother with the IPSC, which I, I know with him, 
at rifles only, they have berms, you know, so you don't need the IPSC backer. The berm will do it. So we are going to go that way. And then, you know, driving back and forth, when I'm looking at it put in practice, I got the students there, I got the class going on, I'm looking at the targets. I really think in a lot of ways for on a training side, for what I'm doing, the context of what Frank's doing, I think Ipsic style plates, even 60%, 66%, 45%, inside 800 yards, inside 1,000 yards, are 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 kind of getting outdated. They're not. They don't work for what we're doing today. Used to be, hit the target, get close to somewhere centered up. You're good to go. Let's move on. Now with software, there's a big enough variation in those target sizes to screw software up, and it's not a lot, but it messes the curve up a bit. And so, you know, Mike and I were talking about it and I'm thinking about this driving back and forth. I got my hour ride back to and forth to the range. And, you know, I really think like five, 600 yards and in, I'm going to start going to these bars, like these two tenth bars and using that instead of a sort of silhouette, human silhouette, chest plate, whatever the case may be. I think that works good for kind of a competition and just tag it and go mentality. But for a training mentality where you're trying to dope things up, the elevation is everything. We're going to play with wind and we're going to do stuff like that. And you can have a taller target that's narrow and that helps you learn wind, our xylophone target, right? But then when you're trying to dope elevation, it should be a horizontal target with no vertical or very limited vertical. You know what I mean? So by doing a point two, that's going to ensure you're much tighter. We're looking at like a quarter MOA, you know, a third, of course, but we're looking at, you know, just over a quarter minute now for that verification. So we're point three, six instead of two, five, but it's still, it's for that verification. We can group on that chewing bar. You could put a light flasher on it. You can make it easy. Oh, you got to tag it, tag it, go. It get, It's wide. I'm making them like between two and three feet wide. So it's not so bad, a big deal windage-wise, but you got to nail your elevation. Once you nail that elevation, man, if you put that data into your software, it's it's it, that software's got to be lined up to it. You know you're going to be point on. And then you know what I find, like how do you put, if I have a T-post, right, and I'm at 200, 300, 400 yards. Now, normally, if I want to do it really well, I want to put paper out there. But paper's slow. Paper's hard to see. Requires you to go down. It gets shot up. And you got to replace them. And you're back and forth. Okay? Because even the spotters, like in, I'm, like my paper targets, I, I, you know, I have 12 people in a class. They're numbered. These ones I use from LE Targets are just three-inch black circles with these white numbers in them. Unless they miss. And if they miss, I could see it. But if they're in the black, you can't see the groups. Now, how do you how do you fix that? You put a shoot and see over it. More money for shoot and sees. Still got to go put them all and 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 set them all up. Go down, staple them all down. If the wind's all stupid, you got to over staple them. If it's raining out, you're now screwed because the paper I'm using not right in the rain. So it's a mess. You you can't do it in a class and be efficient. You know. So then you put steel up. And what do we have at 200 yards? Well, we have a 45% IPSC, which is 8 by 11 giant. 
And then we have a a, a, a rebar swinger with like a two, three inch little piece of steel on it. Got the strap coming down, which is like two, three inches by itself there. Then you got a bolt through it, which is a half an inch. And then when you hit it at 200 yards with our rifles, it swings around in a circle or it knocks the whole frame down. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we knock the frame down because it's so much energy and all that. Where if I put a T-post in, an AR-500, I could put the bolts out to the side. I could do whatever I want. I could have them shoot off of the bolt a little bit and just with the elevation, whatever the case may be, it'll last longer. It doesn't require the paint and it's easier. I could paint it gray and all you got to do is hit the bar and you know you're in good shape. It doesn't matter where on the bar, just hit the bar. So I can go medium gray paint and not worry about it. You know, I could do two inch at 200, three inch at 300, four inch at 400. And now I got a good target to line up. So I'm completely now rethinking the way I'm looking at these targets for classes, for learning, for software. Because it's all about software in these classes now, man. Every, I mean, we spent, Saturday was raining. Saturday was pouring. Saturday was cold. Saturday was windy. So we went and did a lot more classroom on Saturday. We got out earlier on Friday and shot. Where normally Friday would be your class. Saturday you'd shoot. Sunday you'd shoot. Well, what happened is I did Friday. I got out and shot and zeroed everybody and tried to knock out as much as we could as the weather got overcast and was starting to rain. Then Saturday when it poured all day, we did a little more classroom. And then Sunday we go out and shoot. You know what I mean? But Saturday, we still had a dope and true people up for Sunday. The, 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 no, you know, paper ain't going to work, all this other stuff. So I'm rethinking steel targets for training. And I really think, you know, horizontal bars versus vertical is much better. And, you know, guys are asking, I'm getting the I don't get it crowd, you know, the big I don't get it. And it's like, Gee, I, I, at least a dozen people. Gee, I always thought just drawing a line across the target was good enough. Yeah, I do that. We've always done that. I've been drawing lines probably longer than most of you guys. I guarantee the, oh, I've been drawing lines people saw post pictures that I posted and they're doing it now. And, and you know, now they're criticizing this next evolution. You know, dude, I'm shooting 12 people who are shooting, you know, five to 10 rounds a piece. So let's say, let's give them 10 rounds each or, you know, five, whatever the case may be. You draw, you paint your target white. You draw a single stripe across it with your spray paint in another color. And now 60 rounds is thrown at the target. Okay. Do you not think it gets shot up or you start having trouble resolving just where you're hitting on that? 60 rounds and now you got to go down and paint it again. You got to redo the line. You got to do the whole thing. We're with these chewing bars. The back, the, 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 the backer target is a medium gray. Who cares where they hit? We just want to know whether they're high and low. The chewing bar becomes white and it just needs to be a hit on it. You have a great aiming point. Okay. If your reticle is 0.1 thick, 0.17, 0.12, whatever the case may be, and this is two tenths wide, you know you can do it, and we can get you fine-tuned in there. 
it, it works really, really well, and I was really happy with the results. The thing is, is to get the cost down to make it easier, but the heavy target, like I said, that 800-yard frame and all that, that thing is solid as a rock. I love the way that target is, and I actually want that target to be put at like 1,200 because our 1,200 is never facing right. It's always screwed up. So I'm going to be doing it at 900. I'm not going to do 1,000 on our range because our 1,000-yard target is in a dead space. It's up like six feet in the air, and, and you can't spot as well. So I have a flasher on that just the way it stands, and everything's all good. But the, at the end of the day, I'm not going to um, worry about my 1,000. But I am going to do my 1,200. It's actually 1,250. And then I'm going to do the, the, the bars, like I said, at like at for sure I'm doing 4-3-2 are going to have these horizontal bars. But getting into the class, uh, I, I want to thank everybody who came out, all the Toms. Dude, we had Toms and Mikes. Everybody was a Tom and Mike. And even Todd became Tom. And, you know, uh, but everybody had a good old time. We, we got some really good shooting in. We did some fun stuff, even with the weather. They got some good training, good lessons, good quality. I set it up slightly different. Uh, got the round count up for some of them because usually the class is all about qua- quality, quality, not quantity. You want you want good hits and learning. You want to learn something every shot, right? But what I did this time, so we 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 split up the line. I have one side of the line. Mike has another. Mike goes and dopes out and does his things, and he's shooting his drills on one side. I'm dr- shooting my stuff on the other. On Sunday, we did a little flip-flop, so guys got to experience Mike. Guys got to play around with me a little bit. Got Tom on at um, at 1500 with his Tika, and he had a hold. He ran out of elevation, so, but we still got him on. We did some other fun stuff, doping him in on some small targets. We did the tripod work with him. I went over and talked to everybody, talking tripods, stuff like that. So it worked out really well the, the way we organized the class. But then what I did is I put targets down the side that were off uh, to the left. And so now I'll say I got six guys with me. So shooter one, dope, you know, hit the target. Okay, dude, now that you're done, you can go to the side and shoot target. Shooter two, dope the target. Now that you're done, you can go shoot. And they're shooting away from us so I can go down the line with my guys and these guys can get some reps in and start working on their fundamentals and working on stuff. Then when we come back around... Next yard line, we start over, and those guys are still able to put some rounds on target. And they're not just waiting for, you know, the next person to shoot. Because that's the thing. Like, people like private instruction because the round count is so high. When you go to a class, it's probably, you know, a, an a eighth of what you would shoot in a private class. Because, you know, so many people, are you can't have everybody shooting at the same time. You know, not on the same targets anyway. If I'm doping... If I'm doping my group at 400 and Mike's doping his group at 400, we can't be shooting the same targets, so, you know? So we have two targets up there as it is. But then you know, do we put more targets out? So the next thing you know, you need four targets at each yard line. So the target I dope with my guys and then the target they can shoot when we're done. The target Mike dopes with his guys and the targets his guys can shoot when they're done. So it becomes a lot of targets. So instead, we just move some off. But uh, classroom-wise, for the guys, we uh, Randy dropped off a Connex, and um, we used an extra-long Connex for the new classroom. I set up the tables in there. I put a flat-screen TV inside. 
um, ran it off of my iPad and my phone. And the cool thing with the way the TV worked is I even put my phone up on the TV and I did apps on the phone. So I was able to play my phone through the TV and let you see what's going on and do all that stuff. So that worked out fantastic for um, everything. Uh, it, 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 was, it was really good. I used my, my iPad to run the PowerPoint. And that way, you know, because when we had that sandstorm, I screwed up my Mac Pro uh, laptop big time. It got that fine powder sand all in it. I'm still not happy. It's still not right. I've tried cleaning it out. It's probably got to go back to Mac and get taken apart, cleaned out, and I'm going to have to pay for them to clean it. So the iPad, you know, no ports and crap to get into with that sand. I ran my iPad with it. I can run apps through it, and then I plug my phone into it, and I did all that. Great learning, and and it was a, it was a way to try this stuff out with people. So the, the class worked out really good. The target worked out really good. I'm not going to tell you what I did with the target, but I really liked what I did with the target this time. I, I, I changed it up, the, the order of how I do things. I try to go in a logical order, right? You do, you do the, uh, the class on the fundamentals. You take them out. You zero them up. You do all your stuff. Then you dope everybody out to distance. Then you go back and take that data and you, and you run them through the computers. And then you start doing some drills in between. Well, I kind of messed with the order and how I did things a little bit different. And it really worked out well for everybody. So the learning experience, I think, uh, was able to give people homework to go home and then and to, to play with data. And, and I think it helps you see like software limitations. Try dope versus true dope. Tried versus true, right? You know what I mean? Try dope versus true dope. And, and it's just, God, these guys... They keep updating and screwing with software so much. It's like my trace out was working. Now it's crashing. One of the guys had the Hornaday up and we were using it. We're using Hornaday, using Hornaday on Sunday. His Hornaday app was crashing. So then you got to, you got to with these, with, with iPhone in their update and then the app update, they don't line up to each other and it creates such a mess. And the bitch with trace out, it's still the best. I don't care what anybody says. You put in real-world data with Trace Al, it spits out a 99% correct answer versus true and all this other software and getting it to line up. Well, then, like, the one thing I noticed with Trace on, I got to kind of get an answer on it, and I'm going to email them. It's putting the altitude in with the variables when they're pulling all the data. And you and it's like, well, is it supposed to? Because we're it's putting in the true bare, you know, the station pressure, the absolute pressure, but it's putting in the altitude too, and that kind of goes counterintuitive to what we're looking at. So I'm like, well, shoot, that altitude should say zero, but it doesn't. But then I can't make it zero because it pulled from an, you know, from the Kestrel, and I'm like, God dang, man, it, it, is it using the altitude or does it recognize? That the absolute pressure is there because the pressure showing 25, you know, it was like 25, 25 this weekend, but then it's showing 4,500 altitude. Well, you can't put those two together. So I'm like, okay, so is it, uh, you know, that didn't happen yesterday. Now today it's happening. And I'm like, ah, I don't know if it's right. So then I go to true guys up in sort them all out and I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Is this doing it correctly now? Because with like your 
orchestral, <laughs> excuse me, with your kestrel, if you go into weather mode and you change reference altitude, reference barometric pressure, which kind of messes some things up for how we use our weather data with shooting, and then you go into the AB mode, AB mode is smart enough to bypass any changes you made to the weather and pulls the correct raw data. So if you're somebody that needs to have, you know, your reference altitude and reference pressure set to a certain location for whatever reason, you know, then you go into into shooting mode, it'll it'll say, "Well, those aren't right, correct. Duck, I screwed that up. This is the correct information." But now with this app and in Hornaday, I don't know if it's right. I'm like, "Oh man, it's, it didn't look like this the other day." And then like I go to show everybody, I plug my phone in, I go to pull up like Traceal to compare my data in Traceal, which is trued to what we're doing in the Hornaday Ford off app and Traceal crashes. Now I got to uninstall it, reinstall it. My data's gone except for what's saved in the cloud. And it's like annoying, you know? So really when people are asking me, it's like, well, what do you do? What do you do? It's like, well, you got to kind of go to AB again because they're supporting the app and they, and yes, there have been issues and some of the things and they talk about it all the time. It's no software is immune to it. Okay. I, you can go on sniper's hide, go in the forum, look at the ballistic calculator section. Everybody's talking about problems and errors. And I just ran with this with, uh, uh, uh the fin accuracy guys with, uh, Lapua six Dolph. So I, I was bitching about some, something about an app. Uh, Fin Accuracy guys came over and said, hey, what about Sixtoff, Lapua? He said, it doesn't work. And I know, I've tried it. I have it. I'm playing with it. I put all my data in. I go do the whole thing. It's over a mil off. And he's like, no way, no way, no way. So he goes in and we're PMing back and forth between Finland and me. And, and, and we're working on it. Hey, man, here's my numbers. Here's my data. Here's my true information. He puts it in. He's a mil off. And what he finds out is there's a bug in the atmospherics. Here we go again, right? It, the, the barometric pressure is not being resolved correctly or something. And he has a developer version. So he's looking at that. And I think he's going to go to Lapua and talk to them about it. But I'm standing in front of a class and I'm trying to explain these things to somebody. And all this stuff is crashing, changing, variations. It worked like this today. Tomorrow it works different. Ah, how do you teach people this stuff? So it's starting to drive me beyond nuts where Sunday morning, guys were pulling their phones out and we did sort of our cold bore and we did this and we did, you know, a couple shots. Like the first three segments that I shot on Sunday morning, I had such wildly varying results from the guys and it wasn't their fault. I, I, I like Mike laughed, man, because I'm like yelling across the line. I'm like, put your phone away, get him off the line. I don't want to see him again for the rest of the day, except if we're at lunch because it was wrong. And it was like, let's get our data. Let's just go hard copy paper. Let's get our data without that impact data bu ballistic page. I did. I don't see how you can get this stuff to work right. Not at least not on the fly, because most of the software out there, you can't use your, your valid data. You're going to adjust your mag. I mean, you, you, I'm in class and I'm standing in front and one of my slides is like, if you're serious about long range shooting, you need a chronograph. But now you go into the truing features and it's wiping out your muzzle velocity. 
So why do you need a chronograph? I mean, if you're going to put a number in and it's going to fix you to drop or do something else and you're going to true it up, if you put in, my muzzle velocity is 2850, and then the app turns around and says, no, you need to use 2687, what's the point of a chronograph? You know, except unless you're reloading. It, it's like, so that killed that. And, and I don't know, I just, I'm, I'm kind of in this dilemma and because I'm going to be traveling and cause I'm going to, I got a uh, sniper side team challenge next week, uh, after Memorial weekend, it's the following weekend. Then I got the, I come home one day and I'm in Alaska. We got three blocks of classes in my first trip to Alaska, three blocks of classes in my second one. And then another two blocks of classes in my third trip, you know, so it's like, how do I manage this and teach these classes and to give people data that information that works and information that holds true when you put it in the software and to not have to not have somebody come up and push the button to pull their software up because I spent two days working with them. We get it all trued up. And on the third day, their app crashes. It, 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 it's, it's not a cool situation and by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working the problems, man. I'm trying to get you guys valid data. I'm in your corner. You know what I mean? I, 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 I want you all to be better. I want this stuff. I was working with the Garmin. I'm using the Garmin. The only negative I found on the Garmin right now is the battery thing. Um, the battery, uh, you know, even in kind of in like just watch mode, you know, with the time, the battery's not lasting as long as I think it should. Um, not a big deal because it's just open the back, change the battery out. But I do like the range card. I like the target card. I like the spies of the thing. I like the controls on the Garmin. So I think I'm just going to go probably uh, for this next month or so. I'm going to go AB and I'm going to go the Garmin, man, uh, with the Kestrel. And I'll just kind of play the, the Kestrel stuff uh, that direction. I don't know. You know, I'm still the cold bore fan. I like all that, but you know, guys don't want to get a Windows phone and they don't want to carry the big PDA. So home and the work that I do on my own will be cold bore because I think cold bore is the best software on the planet. And you know, feel firing Susan's right there alongside of it, but the devices that you need are not sort of user friendly in 2018. I mean, this stuff goes back to 2005 and six. You know, back then in the early 2000s and it was it was the option we had because our phones wouldn't do it well now that everybody's got the phones and the whole thing it's like like i did i went out and bought a google phone because i got to run android you know now i got a windows phone with no sim card in it but because i was running google and the android and with the app i actually well activated it on my AT&T account but I didn't do that for my Windows phone I just got a I got a you know jailbroke no sim Windows phone so here's the deal man how many products are we going to carry you 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 know guys were saying it, it's like you got an app on your phone you got a Kestrel you got a laser range finder all three of those got software in it you got Laser, you know, your your Leicas, your SIGs, your, your, all that's got software in it. You got your Kestrel, you got your phone. It's all the same software and you're paying for, you know, you're paying for three versions of the same software. It's great on one hand because it's a consistent product. You know what I mean? It's the same software in all of them. But at the same time, this software, AB software requires the user to put in a lot of effort and 
it requires the effort to ranges you may not have. If the if the DSF wants you to true at 12, 1400 yards and your range only goes out to 200, what do you do? You know, and you have to true with AB. It's going to be wrong. You know, it's it's got so many variations in it. I had better luck and and I'm going to tell you this straight up, guys. I had better luck with one of the guys we right we're all playing with software where it's raining, we're we're on the computer, I got internet access, I'm I'm firing all this stuff up. Change their axial factor in Hornaday. Change their muzzle velocity in AB. Change this BC here. Change this here. Change that there. So we're 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 trying to true BC by using the 800 yard true and target and stuff. We got the software modifying our muzzle velocity. Then we're tweaking both of those together. As long as like with Hornaday, the axial form factor, we're playing with that. Now we get the curves to line up, but it's a little trial and error. It's a little back and forth. I take somebody's muzzle velocity, I go right into JBM. I pull the bullet from the library, I put the muzzle velocity in, I put the weather conditions in, friggin' thing lines up. There's no twist straight, spin drift, bullet length, Coriolis, any of that crap. Okay? Say that again. There's no twist straight in JBM. You can go into the crazy ones, but I'm using the simplified, the easy one, the church, the first one, trajectory. No twist rate, no bullet length, no Coriolis, no spin drift, just muzzle velocity, sight height, your atmospherics. Works. Hello? Why? Because everybody puts in these little flourishes to try to stand out from the other guy. Oh, we got to have aerodynamic jump. We zeroed out 100. It's gone. You know, I don't need it. Oh, we got to have spin drift. No, you don't. Oh, we got to put Coriolis in. No, you don't. You know, all this stuff, I turn all that crap off. And, you know, we're even telling everybody like in the Kestrels and stuff like that. Uh, turn, take your first... um. Take your your first wind reading, set it to zero to, to get rid of that aerodynamic jump because it's giving you elevation changes. You're taking true and good data, and then when you turn this stuff on or you use these other elements that they put in, now your data gets, gets skewed a bit. And it's like, if I go to JBM with none of it, it works. So that drives me nuts, man. And And I used to just only do JBM in classes and stuff. Because, you know, I, I taught a class in a building with Wi-Fi, internet access, and all that. I could pull JBM up. I could show them the library. I can show them what I'm doing. Spit out a chart, and we got a chart, and we can look at. But then with all the apps and everything, I got away from that a bit. Well, now I'm back to JBM again because it's bone simple. And I can say it, everybody. Here's a number. When you go back to the hotel tonight as a group, go to the business center, plug it into JBM, print it, bring it, you're good. You know, and then you could throw it away if it's off when you got true data and you got a range card, you know, and then you can go back and start playing with it. But the software just requires a lot more effort than one, I think people are willing to put in themselves and two, in the context of a class without it being like a dedicated ballistic class, it, it, it seems to be even with chronographs, man, I need a damn solution to assembly line people where I know the number's right. 
and went to throw my two-box chrono out there. Numbers were 75% feet off because it needs that distance setting. It needs this, it needs that, and it's not so case of just drop the two boxes down and you're good. You got to kind of line it up, set it, and then it, I was seeing these variations. You know, I like the lab radar, but that doesn't get every round. That doesn't, you know, it's too fragile. The wind comes up, knocks it over, mine's broke. It, it, it's like, I want a fire and forget system. You can't put sky screens out because somebody's going to shoot them. You know, it, it, odds are you're going to get somebody to shoot them. And if the cloud comes over, if this happens, that happens. I, I, I love the magneto speed. I want the magneto speed, but I got to figure out half the class has brakes, half the class has suppressors. Half the class has chassis that may bring the um, barrel too close to the chassis where you can't fit the magneto in. So now you need two solutions. You need you need to, to deal with it in two different ways. So if I'm going to go to 12 people and set up a magneto speed on every rifle, and you know I got to line up all the suppressors first. I got to set the heights for suppressors, and I got to try to do that. But we just zeroed. We just shot a little bit. And I want to assembly line it. They're hot. Got to take your cover off. Some guys have their covers cinched on. Uh, you know, I, I, I want it to be, a, I want I want you to shoot. But I don't want to having to have you standing around while I'm putting a magneto on John's rifle. Five rounds. Okay, John, here's your numbers. Here's your thing. Here's what you do with it. Okay, come on, uh, Tom, set up, put it on, check it, go for it, shoot it, five rounds, here's your numbers, here's your thing, here's what I'm going to do. You know, if it's if it's five minutes a shooter and there's 12 shooters, we just did an hour on, on you know, plus with all that. And I don't know, I, I'm kind of confused. I guess it's a learning experience, it's something good, but at the same time, you know, with the round count for three days is 250. Is that enough? Because we we took so much extra time to do all this other stuff. I don't really know where where to, where I fall on that. That's that's my only thing, man. So I'm working on it. I'm trying to make it a little easier for everybody and streamline it. And uh, again, though, it's great having Mike on the line. It's great having the support from Mile High. The the, the beauty with the Mile High classes are. You're missing something. You need something. You want to upgrade something. Mike runs back. He lives right next to the shop. He picks all that stuff up. He brings you invoices over. You get all the products you may not have, you may need right on the line, hand-delivered to you from Mike himself. And, you know, you, you, you then you take care of it at the end and you got it and go. Like, guys, Harris's, Harris, Harris Bipod. If you own a Harris Bipod and you don't have a pod lock on it, you're wrong as hell, man. It's 15 bucks. It's the only way to keep a guy with a Harris from canting the rifle. You know, they're pulling the rifles over. They can never tighten them up enough. They're always flopping over and canting the rifle. I had a guy canting with this Harris. And actually, we found at one point his scope was actually turned. He tightened it down and, and he didn't put something underneath. So as you did it, it rotated it over. And I kind of saw he had a cant on it. He, he, he was He was... Two and a half mils when everybody else was one and a half mils for wind. You know what I mean? And then he's like, well, wait a minute. Because I, I said, dude, you're, you're canting, you're canting, you're canting. He's like, no, I just I just hit this target, this target, and this target three times in a row on my own. I hit it in the wind. I hit it thing. Well, it just so happens he had it canted the right amount of wind. 
the wind went the other direction, it wouldn't have worked. But it went the right way, and it just so happened it worked perfect for him. And he's like, but I hit. I was like, yeah, you, you canted your wind call. You know, so podlock, it's 15 bucks. Put a podlock on your Harris. You will see a world of difference in your shooting because the Harris's are too loose out of the box and you can't tighten them up factory enough. They're terrible. So the podlock, a must. All right, guys. Hey, man, I'm going to jump off and get this up to you. Sorry for the delay, but thanks for Mike and Adam for doing their AARs and all the stuff. I'll get some more this week up for you. And, and I appreciate it. As you can see, it's Monday. My phones are blowing up. Everything, you're going to hear all these dings and bangs in the background. And I've got most of it turned off, but it doesn't help. The notifications keep on coming in. So let me get caught up. I, I've had four days of out of the office now. And, and I got to get caught up with everything. Stop over to the Sniper Side Forum, man. A lot more details there. Full 30 videos. I've got, I think, 18 videos up on Full 30 right now. Um, so I'm moving my YouTube videos to Full 30. Call Mike over at Mile High Shooting. He's got those Pelotors with Bluetooth, but save me one. Loving them. I like the Odos. Just got to watch breaks in them when you're on the line, man. If you're on the line shooting next to somebody with a break, it's going to be a little loud. Uh, just no way around it. It's, they're just not dense enough for breaks uh, that close. If you're behind the line spotting for somebody, not a problem. If you're shooting on your own or you're a suppressed guy, the Odos are the way to go, man. I think it's Odo. Uh, O-T-T-O. I don't know. That's how I'm pronouncing it. Anyway, thank you for listening. This has been Frank from Sniper's Hide, the Everyday Sniper Podcast. You guys rock. Cheers.